The title of what I'm sharing with you this morning is the book of 2 Peter. The book of 2 Peter, and this is part one that we are dealing with today. I have a sense that there is an excitement to get into a good ser uh, sermon series and grow. It's an opportunity to grow in our walk with the Lord. Now, to set the stage for our time together today, uh, just for those that are visitors here today or listening online and you aren't aware of how we've been tracking, to bring you into the picture is that last year we did a sermon series on the book of First Peter. Uh, it was an excellent time around God's Word. It was a nine-part series covering the five chapters that make up First Peter. And so we really spent quality time on that epistle, that letter. If you missed those teachings, I do want to encourage you to listen to them. You can go to our website, ChooseLifeChurch.com, and you can get all of the messages there, those nine parts. They're obviously available to you free of charge. But now we are looking forward to discovering the book of 2 Peter. And before we get into that, I'd like to pray. Father, I believe that we need to ask for your blessing as we go into the series. And so we simply do that. We dedicate the series from the book of 2 Peter into your hands, and we really ask you, Lord, come and speak to us as your people. We open up our hearts and lives, and we say to you, Lord, there's no areas where it's a no-go, but we say, God, speak to us. We wanna keep on changing and growing more and more into the likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So thank you for your blessing on this series in Jesus' name, amen. Now, a bit of an introduction to 2 Peter. So firstly, the Apostle Peter, he is the author of this book. This was the same Peter who was a disciple of Jesus Christ. Peter was in that inner circle with Jesus together with these other two, James and John. Remember, Peter, James, and John, they were close in that inner circle. And so this letter, 2 Peter, was written about two or three years after 1 Peter. So actually, it was last year I shared with you on 1 Peter, so I, I should have waited another like two or three years before we got to this one. Just kidding. Hey, relax, relax. Some people too tense in church today. Okay. You can smile, you're in church. Yeah, so two or three years afterwards, here Peter is writing again. Uh, the book of 1 Peter is, um, it is, it is shorter than 1 Peter, 2 Peter, because 1 Peter had five chapters. 2 Peter contains only three chapters. So here Peter is writing yet again from Rome. He's writing to believers in different churches in Asia Minor, spread across the region of Asia Minor. Now listen to this. Significantly, Peter wrote this letter shortly before he was martyred. That's quite something. 
and it would seem that he sensed his time on earth was drawing to a close. His death was imminent. And so he left this letter as a living legacy for those who would remain behind. Now you might ask, well, what's the difference between 1 Peter and 2 Peter in terms of the emphasis? 1 Peter deals with problems from the outside in that believers were facing persecution and it was growing persecution from the outside world. That was happened in 1 Peter. Now, 2 Peter is a little different because it deals with problems that are happening on the inside of these churches. Because believers were dealing with false teachers who were spreading destructive doctrine. It never ceases to amaze me how there will always be false teachers that go around and they're trying to teach and you know, bring these harmful, destructive doctrines. And so we as the people of God, we've got to be steadfast. We must not be swayed by these harmful doctrines. A lot of harmful doctrines are around there in the world today, and they're trying to influence the church. Come on. We've got to stand steadfast and say, I'm not giving into that nonsense. I stand fast on the word of God. Can I get an amen? amen? Now, here we go, picking up in our passage. We're dealing with the first half of chapter one. So, 2 Peter chapter one, verse one to 11, reading from the New King James Version. Here it starts. Simon Peter, a bond servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith. Peter's saying that, listen, you are believers who have come into faith. Your faith is like precious faith. It's on the same level as the apostles. You don't have a second-rate faith. You have a like precious faith. Who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Don't you like that phrase? Grace and peace be multiplied. One thing I pick, about in the, pick up in the New Testament is there is the abundance of God's grace that is available to us and his peace. It's not in short supply. And so Peter is saying grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our God and of, our, of Jesus our Lord. Verse three, look, and look at this. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, that is blow your mind stuff right there, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, virtue being excellence. Verse four by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, that's the promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Verse five, for this very reason, giving all diligence, would you say the word diligence? Add to your faith. Now, faith is given as the fundamental thing here. 
And then there are seven characteristics which we should be building on to our faith. Uh, Add to your faith virtue. That's the first characteristic. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things, these characteristics are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse nine, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his old sins. The last two verses. Therefore, brethren, or sistren, <laughs> be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Isn't that beautiful? You're never gonna stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful for the word of God? Folks, in this is power stuff, power stuff. Now, please keep this passage open. We're gonna refer back several times today. There are four points that I'd like to share with you. Number one, God's divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Please say this with me. God's divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Verse three, if you look in your Bible, it confirms this. It says, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. The Amplified Bible renders this very nicely. It says, for his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary. Listen to this. For a dynamic spiritual life. Don't you like that? And godliness. So wonderful what God has done. So God's power has been miraculously given to us so that we are empowered to live a life that pleases God. In other words, his power energizes us. You know what? When you think of this aspect of God's power, giving us everything that we need for life and godliness, it is an amazing revelation from Scripture. And I pray in the name of Jesus that God opens your minds, your spiritual understanding, and that you begin to realize this because it will have a profound effect on your life. Because listen to this. A believer cannot say, I am a slave to the enemy. A believer cannot say, I'm a slave to addiction. There might be a struggle that a believer might be facing in there, but they are never a slave because of what Jesus has done. A believer cannot say, I'm a slave to immorality. They can never say, I'm a slave to rejection. They can never say, I'm a slave to brokenness. 
They can't say that because it is simply not true. Because listen to this, his divine power has given us everything we need to break those chains. Let faith arise from the people of God. Some of you have gotten used to chains that are around your ankles or your arms or whatever like that. You've gotten used to it and you think, well, this is just my lot. No. His divine power has given you everything that you need for those chains to be broken. Can I get an amen? amen. And there's this song which says, there is power in the name of Jesus. Sing it with me. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. I need some of those black glasses. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain, every chain. Okay, let me stop. Every chain, every chain, every chain. Okay, moving on. Listen, there is no bondage that is too strong for God's divine power. And in Jesus' name, I speak to your minds, that bondages in your minds in that regard, thinking that you're a slave. I break those by the power of Jesus. I break those in Jesus' name. There is no bondage that is too strong for his divine power. Now, how can a person gain access to his divine power? Here it is. By way of knowing Jesus. It says in verse three, through the knowledge, that's knowing Jesus, through the knowledge of him who called us. How do we get the divine power? Through the knowledge of Jesus. So when you come to know Jesus, you have access to his divine power and that divine power enables you to live a holy life. Sometimes we just need to say, thank you, God. You have completely set me up for success. And by the way, you will never be able to be holy apart from Jesus. Our holiness is found in Jesus. And by the way, the better you get to know Jesus, the more you become like him. Now, while God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, you and I still have a part to play. Because we need to cultivate and develop that godliness or that godly life. You see, realize this, that God is not gonna force godliness upon you. He's not gonna force holiness upon you. He says, I am holy, I've given you the power to be holy, now you be holy. Be holy as I am holy. And we have the power by his divine nature to be holy. And so God won't force godliness upon you. You need to give your consent and you need to cooperate with him to see that godliness realized. Point number two, God has given us great and precious promises. Say this out loud with me. God has given us great and precious promises. Now look at verse four in your Bible. It says in verse four, by which this is speaking about by his glory and excellence, by which 
have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Everybody say promises. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The New Living Translation says the following. These are the promises, listen to this, that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. And so here it is talking about promises of God that give us access into deeper things. This verse speaks of the promises of God in general. And from what I understand, it includes all the promises that are contained in the Word of God. And by the way, do you know that, firstly, let me say this, I used to think that there's like three or four or 5,000 promises in the Word of God, but do you know that there are, in fact, it is estimated that there are at least 30,000 promises in the Word of God. Isn't that amazing? And I quote that from the reliable source of the BBC. I'm not talking about the Broadcast Corporation. I'm talking about the Believer's Bible Commentary, which is a reliable source, and they say that they estimate that it's about 30,000 promises. I'm thinking about the promises. John Bunyan, some of you may know that name. He was the author of that Christian classic, Pilgrim's Progress, and this is what he said about the promises of God. He said, the pathway of life is strewn so thickly with the promises of God that it is impossible to take one step without treading upon them. Isn't that lovely? Those 30,000 promises, an abundance of promises. Now, you might say, okay, these promises, God's given us, wow, great and precious promises, but John, just remind me, what are a couple of these promises? And let me give you a few examples of the promises of God. Here's one. Sin shall not have dominion over you, according to Romans 6, verse 14. That's not a hopeful idea. That is a promise. Sin will not have dominion over me. Thank you, God. That is a promise. Forgive me for believing otherwise. Here's another one. From 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. That is a promise. There's never going to be a place where you are left in a place of being overwhelmed because God says, my grace is sufficient. It's a promise. Thank you, God. Lord, it's been rough, but your grace is sufficient for me. Another promise is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. Here's one from James 4 verse 7. It says, resist the devil and he will flee. This is a promise. It's very clear. The Bible says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Uh, The devil doesn't have an option because of the power of God's word, because of the promise of God's word. And I wanna tell you, The enemy might be coming against you and and you're facing a real battle, but I wanna encourage you, you stand on the word of God, which is a promise that if you resist the devil with a sincerity and with a faith, he must flee. It's a promise of God. You can take that to the bank, so to speak. Another one, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us 
That's a promise. Sometimes you know you've blown it, you've messed up. And you get before the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent. And I confess it to you. And then you're thinking, but I don't know if I'm forgiven. No, 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 this is a promise. If you confess, he will forgive. So then you just receive the forgiveness of God. Here's another one. Call upon me, the last one I wanna mention. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you from Psalm 50 verse 15. Wow. Thank you, God. This is certain. This is not a debate. It's a decision. This is not a think, maybe, wonder, possibly. This is a certified thing. It is a promise from God and a promise is backed up by the nature of the person who made the promise and he is entirely, completely faithful. Come on, give the Lord a hand for his promises. Come on, church. We thank God for his promises. And so when you look at these promises, I think to myself, well, these promises are truly awesome. It's no wonder that Peter said that they are great and precious promises. The message says, absolutely terrific promises. So whatever situation you may face in life, there is a promise that is applicable to your situation. I encourage you, take a hold of the promise and it says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, it says, for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him are amen to the glory of God through us. Note the through us. Wow. And so this just tells us that God's promises are sure and they are certain. In him, yes, and in him, amen. By the way, verse four also refers to the fact that we become partakers of the divine nature. In my younger years when I was growing up, I didn't understand this thing of the divine nature because what is the divine nature? And by the way, it is the nature and characteristics of God. For example, God is holy God is good and God is loving. So when we talk about the divine nature, we're talking about God and his nature and his characteristics. Now, now I know some of us, when we have an amazing ice cream, we say, this is divine. <laughs> or you have that incredible, I don't know, give me, some, give me some example. Chocolates, you have some incredible chocolates or you, you have a lack of steak and you say, this is divine. I remember my spiritual father, Kevin Doran, he said, no, 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 ice cream is not divine. Steak is not divine. Only God is divine, really. Now, I get it. We like to say that, oh, divine, yeah, it's divine. But only God is divine. And we, when we talk about the divine nature, it's talking about the nature and characteristics of God. And by the way, when you and I are standing on the promises of God, we begin to show this divine nature of God. We begin to show his characteristics. We begin to show the holiness, the godliness, the love, etc., because his divine nature is affecting us. And that's how we escape the corruption in the world, because we are different. And God's divine nature is affecting you and it is working in you. Praise God for that. Point number three, it is imperative that we keep on growing in Christ. Please say this with me. It is imperative that we keep on growing in Christ. 
Please tell the person next to you, keep growing. Tell them that. So, as I see it, as I understand the Word of God, Christians are people who should keep on growing. We should keep on making progress. We should never stagnate in our lives. Compared to a year ago, have you grown in Christ? I trust you are. You, you have grown in Christ. Listen to what one theologian says. He says, there is either advance or decline in the pathway of discipleship. No standing still. Some people think, well, I can just stand still in my relationship with God. No, no standing still. Failure to persevere in the development of Christian character leads to barrenness, unfruitfulness, blindness, short-sightedness, and forgetfulness. Child of God, it's dangerous to stop growing. It is actually very risky to be in a comfort zone. We need a purpose in our hearts. <laughs> I'm not gonna get in a comfort zone. I'm gonna keep my eyes on Jesus. But you know what? There is blessing and safety in moving forward. Really, there is. So it's danger to be in a comfort zone. But when you're moving forward and you're growing in Christ, there's a lot of safety there. I so appreciate the example that my dad set for me because I saw that my dad, he continued to grow deeper in his walk and his love with the Lord. I can honestly say that the last month or two or three months of his life, he was genuinely more in love with Jesus and more on fire for God than before. And so I wanna say don't, say, don't say to yourself, no, you know, I've learned kind of enough. I read about 15 good Christian books and I've read my Bible from cover to cover. I can stop growing. No, you cannot stop growing. It is dangerous to stop growing. Keep on growing, child of God. Now, look at verse five to eight of our text today. I am just reading this in the NLT. It says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. And now it says, supplement your faith. The faith is the foundational one. And then it mentions the other seven things. Supplement your faith with the generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. Self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for one another. And then it says in verse eight, it says, the more you grow, this is about growing, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This passage of scripture, these few verses about growth, I find them fascinating because I think that they are probably, uh, this is probably one of the best passages in the Bible on Christian growth. And do you see the sequence here? Do you see the steps for growth? There's faith, then moral excellence, which is goodness, then there's knowledge. And then I'm growing in self-control. Am I growing in self-control since a year ago? Then I'm growing in patient endurance. I'm growing in godliness, brotherly affection. Am I growing in brotherly affection? And then I'm growing, the last one, in love for everyone. And so these are seven characteristics, child of God, that we need to keep progressing in. And if you're a little bit stagnant, let these verses challenge you. 
that we need to keep on growing in these seven characteristics. And we need to grow in all these areas. It's not like you just grow in one. <laughs> you know? And then five years later, you start on love. And, and then three years later, you start on self-control. Also, the reality is that we don't finish one area and then go to the next, but we work on these areas simultaneously. And so, folks, Peter, who's right in here, it's not long before his death, Peter is basically saying that followers of Jesus Christ should never stop growing. And do you realize this is a key to the book of 2 Peter? There are three major keys to the book of 2 Peter, and the one of them is that Christians need to keep on growing. Wow, it's very clear. It's very unapologetic. And so we should strive to be more and more like Jesus. You know what? The Holy Spirit is helping us to do that. And this growth in God is a lifelong journey. It is. It's something that never stops. And we need to be committed to develop the characteristics that are evident in the nature of God, the godliness, the love, the patience. And here's the thing, that we are growing closer to the Creator. So the closer you get to the Creator, the more creative you become. The closer you get to God who is love, the more love affects you. And you begin to partake in the divine nature of God what a blessing that this happens. Praise God that we partake in the divine nature of God. And so just to mention this, the Apostle Paul, we're speaking about Peter, but the Apostle Paul, he was so delighted that the church in Thessalonica was doing so well. Why? Specifically because they were growing. And listen to this. In 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3 in the NIV, I'll just read it to you. Paul says, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because, now, this is what Paul is thanking God for. We thank God for you because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. What a beautiful commendation. Choose Life Church, is our faith growing in God more and more? Amen. Choose Life Church, is our love for one another growing more and more? It absolutely needs to be growing, and I believe by God's grace it is. Point number four, which is a brief one. As you diligently follow after Jesus, you will never stumble. As didn't lacker me. Say this together with me. As you diligently follow after Jesus, you will never stumble. Now, look at verse 10 and 11 in your Bible. It says, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. Would you say the word diligent? To make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't this wonderful? It talks about an everlasting kingdom. Now I remind you, child of God, we are part 
of an everlasting kingdom. The kingdom starts right here and now, and the full manifestation is still to come, and it is everlasting. <laughs> we can't even comprehend that. But blow your mind. Awesome stuff. And so we are going to be going into an everlasting kingdom. Now, in terms of this aspect of going into heaven one day, some believers, I believe, are worried that they won't make it into heaven because they're thinking, I'm not sure. And they've actually given their lives to the Lord and they are following on to God, but they, they are sh they're not sure. They're thinking, what if I'm not gonna make it to heaven? But listen to this. If you diligently keep your eyes on Jesus, you will never fall short of heaven. And the Bible says, you will never stumble. That is so wonderful. So put away those mistaken tones of distrust and just say, thank you, God. <laughs> I'm gonna keep my eyes on you, Jesus, and I know that I will never stumble and I have access into heaven. You know, sometimes we think it's about you and I being perfect, but I've discovered it is about the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. It is about Him and what He has done. And so all we need to do is diligently keep our eyes on the Lord. And the Bible says that we should keep looking unto Jesus, the author, and he gets the job done, the finisher of our faith, and he is the rock of our salvation. So just keep your eyes on Jesus. Be steadfast in the Lord. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Please tell the person next to you that. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Tell them that. And so I'm, I'm drawing to a close. Now let me ask you this question. Why was Peter in this letter so passionate about believers serving God with diligence and steadfastness? Here's the reason. Because there were false teachers who were...